With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. As we continue uh, to go through your hockey career, last week we talked about uh, the merger that you were involved in as GM of the North Stars between the North Stars and Cleveland Barons. This week I want to go back to where it all started for you and this state. So I believe the year was 1959, what led a uh, a kid playing hockey from Sault Ste. Marie to the Gophers in 1959, Lou Nanny? Well, uh, I was owned by, uh, my rights were owned by Chicago Blackhawks, and when I finished high school there, I, I at that time I was thinking of becoming a dentist. So I, I wanted to go play juniors in St. Mike's and go to the University of Toronto. But uh, Rudy Pillis, who was coaching the Blackhawks, representing them, and they owned the St. Catherine's uh, junior team where... Uh, Bobby Hall and Makita were playing, and they he came to me and says, "No, I got to go play in in St. Catharines. They have my rights; they're not going to let me play in Toronto." And they said I could go to school at McMaster in Hamilton, which is you know ten miles away. But I said they don't have a dental school. He says, "Well, you could be a dentist after you finish junior." And I said, "No." He said, "Well, then you won't play in Canada." So I had to go to the United States to play. And uh, North Dakota had come up to visit me, and I was in RPI. I was talking to a few schools, and then. Uh, Bob May was coaching North Dakota. I said, no, I'm going to be a dentist. You don't have a dental school there. He said, you should go into business. And I said, no, I really think I'm going to be a dentist. So oddly enough, about a, a couple weeks later, he got offered a job in Denver in the International League. So he left North Dakota, and he was living in Minneapolis, and he ran into Mariucci and told him that I wouldn't come because of the dental school. Mariucci called me and invited me down. I never heard of Minnesota or Mariucci or anything. Mm-hmm. But the, my uncle, who's a dentist, said they got a terrific dental school there. So I flew down, and and uh, John uh, picked me up. And actually, it was ironic because I hate snow. And so I asked the cab driver when I was in town, how much snow here? I wanted to get an honest appraisal. They said, not much. I said, how much is not much? They said, three inches. And I love movies, and they put me up at the Nicollet Hotel. And it was really hot. I actually slept in the uh, bathtub at night because there was no air conditioning in Nicholas Hotel then. And I was here for four days. I went to uh, nine movies, six, eight, and ten, six, eight, and ten, six, eight, and ten, <laughs> three days, and a fraternity party once because the movies changed one day. Yeah. And so I signed up on the spot, and I got home. My dad said, how would you like it? I said, I'm going there. Said, we haven't discussed it. I said, they got no snow. And they got a lot of movie theaters and a great dental school, so I signed. That's how I ended up coming here. Okay, what was the cab driver thinking when he lied to you? <laughs> I was thinking about him when I was crossing the West End Bridge in the winter in January when I was freezing. I wanted to strangle him. 
When did you, okay, so after you came back here and decided to go to school here, at what point did you get hit with your first snowstorm and know that that guy was absolutely full of bleep? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It was it was in uh, December, and uh, it was it was bad. And I had to walk across the West Bank to go to a, take a class, and the wind was howling and was snowing. <laughs> but it was funny because Mary, she said, "If you come here, you'll never leave, Louis." And the most ironic part was I, I you know, I didn't know anything about university rules, NCAA, uh, Mariucci, anything. So when he had me uh, down here for the visit, he was taking me around campus, showing me around, taking me all the different places, uh, introduced me to Murray Warmet, the football coach, and then he had a lunch, and he was selling for a paper company at that time. That was his main job, and coaching was a side job. He was only making five, $6,000 to coach the Gophers. And so he took me for lunch at, they had a place in McCarthy's on the Highway 12, a big, a very popular bar restaurant. So he took me there to meet a client at noon. So the three of us are sitting there. I'm 18 years old, mm-hmm. and I really don't drink. Uh, you know, I, I, I can't drink much, and I, I never did drink much then either. So I'm sitting there, and the waitress comes, and she says, what do you like to drink? And I looked at the two of them, and I didn't know what to do. So I ordered a beer. So I had a beer at lunch, and we, you know, ate, and everything was fine, and the year that I graduated, after I graduated, he had me coach a freshman team when I was in that contract dispute with Chicago. Right. And he said, i got to ask you something. He said, it's been bothering me for four years. He said, how can an 18-year-old kid come down here, meet me, sit down to lunch and have a beer, underage drinking, right in front of me? I says, I didn't know a thing about underage drinking or drinking. I said, how can you take me to a bar <laughs> at 18 when I'm underage and have them ask me what I want to drink and don't say anything about it? <laughs> Fair enough on both sides, right? Yeah. yeah. Why dentistry, and when did that uh, dream go by the wayside? Well, my uncle was a dentist, and and his brother was a doctor, and my mother was always saying what a good life he had. uh, The doctor was always on call during the night, and the dentist had a good life and very successful, and so she was trying to encourage me to be a dentist. I thought that would be good, and I really wasn't cut out for it. I took two two, uh, uh, quarters pre-dent, and then I dissected a frog and pulled the pins out, and he jumped out of the train. I said, what am I doing here? And I went over to the uh, place where you take the interest test, and I had the highest sales interest they'd seen, so I switched into business. But my brother became a dentist, my son became a dentist, my two nieces are dentists, but it sure wasn't cut out for me. It's a lot of blood and a lot of gross stuff, Louie. Yeah, that's for You're sure. Right. I'm glad I didn't do it. <laughs> uh, so did Despite what John said, how long, when, when you saw that first snow and uh, spent that first uh, bit of time here, how long did, did you actually think that you would stick here? I guess uh, after the first quarter, I, I really enjoyed the school. I enjoyed the, my teammates and the people I got to know and, and the city. And, uh, you know, in those days, uh, it's different than now. Uh, John had a friend who was an Italian guy running the printing union. And he introduced them to to me, and Tony Shulo was his name. And they used to have me over for dinner every Sunday night. And uh, and he introduced me to a couple other friends that he had around town that, you know, making sure that I, I wasn't lonely and not giving money or anything, but just, you know, seeing if I needed anything, how things were going, just to keep tabs. Because I didn't know anybody or anything. I didn't even know where Minnesota was. I'd never heard of it, you know. Right, you're up in Canada. Maria. I didn't know anything. Yeah. When they called, asked my mother, he says, uh, 
this guy's calling me. He wants me to go to Minnesota. I said, where's that? <laughs> he said, well, you know, your aunt went to that hospital down in Rochester, Minnesota. I said, yeah. She said, it's close to there. I said, okay, fine. <laughs> so I flew over here, and that's, that was my first, you know, uh, knowledge of Minneapolis-St. Paul area. So, so what did John mean to you as well? I mean, did, did he become a father figure pretty quickly to you, or did that just evolve over time? No, he really he became very, we, we were very close, and, and he was like my second father, and he really uh, took care of me at all times. And uh, when I wanted to get married in my junior year, the summer before uh, my senior year, I, I said I can get married, but I... I have to have my wife have a job. We don't have any money. And he says, I'll take care of it. He says, uh, I'll be her sponsor. We need a sponsor. And he said, I'll get her a job, which she did at North Star Steel at that time. So we were able to get married. And, uh, you know, and everything I, I ever did, you know, even even turning pro, he was the final guy that really made the decision for me. He said, you can't keep putting this off, Lou. you got to turn pro. you got to play. Mm-hmm. And... And uh, I just, you know, trusted him with everything. And so when I became general manager, I made him my assistant general manager. You became a star, too, Lou. I mean, in what won the uh, conference scoring title or league scoring title in 62-63. What did that mean at that time, though, in, in the States? Because I'm guessing uh, at that time, college hockey didn't get a lot of coverage. So in being a star player, did, did you get a lot of uh, recognition back then, or was it pretty consolidated to a, a small degree? No, I got a lot in, in, in Minnesota, obviously, and, uh, you know, and, and, and you know, making All-American, which we didn't have many of them up to that time, and winning the scoring as a defenseman, which was never done right. then, and... Uh, and you know the all-star teams and most I got most valuable player in the league too, all that stuff. But, you know, it, and it was you know it was covered very well. Uh, the only thing where it doesn't make a difference is when you go to turn pro because the the team owns your rights. And you, in, in those days, there were six teams in the NHL, and they had a complete complete hold on the players. They, they, there was never anything like you got today where you can be free agents and waivers and stuff like that. So. It, it was uh, it put you in a, in a better negotiating position, but still not the greatest negotiating position like you'd have today. So the Blackhawks drafted you when? Well, they didn't draft me. They, they sponsored our team when I was 13, so they owned my rights from when I was 13 years old. Well, I didn't know that. Wait, wait. So, so they sponsored your team and got all, all the rights to the players that they liked on that team? Is that how it worked? Yeah, yeah. Me, really? Phil, Phil Esposito, Chico Mackey. Yeah. You know, Matt Ravlich, all those guys who were on. We, all the guys from the Sioux played played in uh, in uh, St. Catharines for the most part, except me and Gino Bracco who went to St. Mike's, but they didn't have his rights. So I was the only guy that never played in St. Catharines. And, and going into pro, and, uh, for a number of years, I was the only guy from the Sioux who never played in Chicago. So they basically came in, in there, sponsored a team, and by doing so, Got the the rights to, to players though. If you think about that now, that's remarkable. It is remarkable. I mean, it's crazy. And not only not only get the rights to be able to hold you, so you can't play in Canada. I had no right to yeah. play anywhere in Canada, but there. So what they said. So as you're playing uh, for, for the Golfers, then are you thinking to yourself at that point in time that you're eventually going to go on and uh, play for the Blackhawks, or did you know that that probably would not happen at that point? 
Oh no, they still want. I, I you know, I, I knew I'd have the opportunity to play for them because even when I go home in in uh, summer, before I'd come back, they owned the, the farm team in the, in the Sioux, which is their top farm team was in Sault Ste. Marie, the Sault Ste. Marie Thunderbirds. So I used to practice with them and go to their training camp, and then they come back and play with the Gophers. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I, I always knew that there was going to be that possibility. So you you get done with school here. What transpires next? Well, I finished and uh, and the Chicago came and offered me a contract, and we agreed to terms. It was two thousand to sign and six thousand to play, and, <laughs> and that's uh, that was a good contract in those days. Sure, but my wife and I, as I said, you know, were married the year before, and then uh, she went to work, but then she got pregnant right away, so she had to quit. So I'm graduating on a Friday and I took a job on a Monday with Archer Daniels Midland uh, Chemical Sales because I needed the money. And then I was going to go and and uh, go to training camp and turn pro in September. Well, when September came along, they sent my letter to camp and not the contract. And and my wife called and I was at work and I said, well, I'll call Mr. Ivan now. And I called, I said, got your letter. He said, yeah, you drive with uh, McCartan. We'll see you at camp. I said, well, you forgot to send the contract. He says, we don't give out contracts till training camp. We, you know what you're you're getting. I said, well, I'd like to sign it before I come. And he says, nobody signs it, not even Bobby Hall. And I said, I don't care about Bobby Hall. I got a wife, a kid now, I'm a month old, and I got a college degree. I said, I'm not coming without my contract being signed. He said, well, you won't play. I said, then I won't play. <laughs> so I sat out. Okay. And so I just worked. And then I was working, coaching a freshman, playing on the weekends at Rochester, doing some broadcast, broadcasting the state tournament, et cetera. So then they saw I was, you know, serious about it, so now they came to give me the contract. Well, I switched jobs and went to work for Ivy McKay. So I was making more money. So now I wanted more money, and they wouldn't give it to me, so I worked for Harvey. And then every year they'd come to give me the more money, and every time they'd make that an offer, I'd go to Harvey, and then he'd give me, like, the Honeywell account, the Pillsbury account, so I'm making <laughs> way more money selling envelopes and these guys are making play in the NHL so yeah. I just didn't turn pro and I stayed right out of it until uh, expansion came then Chicago couldn't hold my rights anymore everybody's reserve list got cut back to their team in maximum of 30 so everybody became a free agent and wasn't signed essentially mm-hmm. including me and so then I had the opportunity to sign right away with the North Stars which I came close uh, when they came home from the draft I went Blair called me. I went to meet with him, and uh, we had an agreed-upon contract. It was in the Midland Bank building on the fifth floor. He went up to the sixth floor to get it typed. I called a friend of mine, George Lyons, said I was going to sign, and he said, how much? And, and I said, you know, 48000 uh, over two years. He said, that's not enough. They're going to depreciate you. I said, you know, you're right. I want to play in the Olympics. So I called him upstairs. And he said, I'll be right down with the contract. He said, don't bother coming. I'm not playing. I'm playing with the Olympics. Because they had put a bill through Congress for me to get citizenship, and now I could play with the U.S. team. So he said, well, you'll never play here. He said, well, maybe I won't play here, but I'm playing with the Olympics. So I uh, waited till after the Olympic Games, and then I was, as I said, I had the opportunities uh, to go other places. But uh, Walter Bush and I finally came to terms on the contract, and I signed with the North Stars. Tell me about the bill through uh, Congress. Well, uh, Murray Williamson was a coach, and Walter Bush, you know, was head of USA Hockey, basically. And and they came to me and asked if I would play with the U.S. team. I said, well, I can't. I'm Canadian. They said, well, we're going to put 
a bill through Congress, and we're going to we want you and Masterton and George Connick to play. So the three of us went on the bill, and uh, they got uh, I forget the Congress's name out of Duluth. He was the guy that really shepherded. And I have it at home, so I should look at the name. But so they they put it through. The, the funny part was it was going all the way through and it got stopped uh, right before the international uh, world championships in 1967 because the three of us played with the U.S. team all that year, 66-67. We're going to have the national tournament in Vienna and then we the next year we'd be with the Olympic team. So just before we are ready to fly out, they stopped the bill in Congress, and I don't want to say who or why, because it's still very close friends of mine. And they were, it was about Masterton being a centerman taking this other kid's position. Okay. So Father Bauer called me at the time from Vienna. He said, I got good news for you. He said, what's that? He said, I heard the bill didn't go through. I said, yeah. And he's heading up the Canadian team. He said, well, we got a job for you in Winnipeg with Pillsbury. We're going to move your family there. You're going to be on the Olympic team. We want you to fly out tomorrow morning and meet us, play for Canada in the World Championships, because I played them ten times that year. Mm -hmm. He says, Father, don't you remember who I am? Of course, Louis. What are you talking about? It's 1963 when I had a dispute with Chicago. I called you for a tryout with the Canadian team in September. You wouldn't give me a tryout. You said your team was already picked. And you had a lot of those guys that I played against in college that I knew I was better than. And you wouldn't give me a tryout. I said, I ain't ever playing for you. And I hung up. And I said, I'll either play for U.S. or nobody. And, and then it finally went through, and then I was able to play in the 68 team. Wow. So what, okay, at your age then or in 59 or, or so, you're a young man. What gave you the confidence to be so hard-lined? Because at that age, a lot of kids are afraid, right? Like what you you have always had that negotiating skill or confidence, but what started that? Because to to draw, I mean, to tell the Blackhawks buzz off basically takes guts, right? Yeah. What gave you that um, emboldened confidence to do that? Do you think? I guess I'm just stubborn as a person, and uh, and and I I have uh, I I just have a belief that things should be fair. And either side, and if they're not, then then I won't take part in it. And I just, uh, you know, I, it, it's just a feeling I have that I, I don't, I don't like to. I won't take advantage of people, and and I won't let people take advantage of me. And that's basically where it comes from. So with all, all the things that transpired here, the Blackhawks, then the, the Stars, and you came close to signing, and ultimately at first did not. Was there ever a part of you that began to wonder if you would play in the? Uh, pros, or did you always know that the opportunity would represent itself at some point in time to uh, jump back to the National Hockey League, Lou? Oh, no. I really thought that at, at times there, there was not going to be the opportunity to play. And it was just it was just a stubbornness or a feeling that uh, it wasn't fair, wasn't right, I wasn't going to do it. And as I told you, Mariucci was the guy finally in 67, 68. He said, Lou, you, you, you can't do this. He said, you should be playing in the NHL. He said, I want you to play. you got to play. You can't do this. <laughs> you know, it's not right. you you got the gift to play. I, I don't want to see you sitting out. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that was one of the things that pushed me along. So you you played, I think you uh, signed with Stars in 68 after the Olympic Games, played in two games. Uh, when, when that started, what was that experience like to finally uh, start to play pros? 
Well, Harvey McKay said to me, if you ever put the skates on and play pro, you don't have a job here anymore. So when I signed my first contract, I did something no one's ever done before or probably since. I signed a personal service contract. And what that means is, you know, we were so far apart in monies, and and uh, that's why I got such a big contract. And I, I, I made them an offer. I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll sign personal service with you. And they said, well, what are you going to do by that? And I said, I'll play hockey for you wherever you want, majors, minors, wherever it is. In the summer, you can sell my rights to work, and I'll go work for whatever company you want me to sell for. I'll set up a hockey school, which you don't have, and I'll run it and organize it. And I'll do every appearance that players in the dressing room won't do. So I said, with those four things, if I don't play a game for you, you're still not going to be bad off. Right. And so that's <laughs> what I signed for three years. So when I signed the contract, it was <laughs> I signed Friday afternoon. I had to fly to St. Louis Friday night because we were playing Saturday night in St. Louis back home Sunday. Yep. Now, I had been out playing for three weeks because I was negotiating, but I wasn't playing. The Olympics were over. And so when I played the first game, I played all five positions, everything but goal. I, my first shift was the center ice. I went center ice, right defense, left defense, left wing, right wing. Really? All five, yeah. And it was a very physical game on top of it because they were both fighting for playoff positions. Yeah. And then we flew back, we chartered back in a little plane that night, got in late, played again Sunday night early. And then Harvey McKay saw my wife in the crowd because I want to talk to Louie at 7 o'clock tomorrow morning. Well, when the game's over, she says, uh, I saw Harvey wants to talk to you at 7 o'clock in the morning. So I'm, hey, I'm dead. Every bone in my body hurts. I'm not getting up 7 o'clock in the morning. I, you know, it's over. He told me I wouldn't be working for him, so I'm not going. She says, you owe it to him. You're, you're going. So <laughs> I got up in the morning. I went and met him at 7 o'clock. I walked in. He said, okay, how are we going to work this out? Are you going to work for me in the summer? How's it going to be? I said, Harvey. You told me I couldn't work for you, so my contract's already structured. I'm going to be working for Caldwell Press. So I never did work for him again. So I worked for Caldwell Press. I, I uh, set up and ran the hockey school. I had, you know, I, I'd probably make 50 to 70 speeches a year for them. Yep. And so it worked for three years that way. And at the end of three years, then I sold myself individually and didn't do that. I just signed a con- hockey contract, and then I did all the stuff on the side myself. So the Stars initially, when, when you signed that first contract, did set you up with Caldwell Press. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, why did McKay draw the, the line in the sand when you decided to play pro? Well, I was a negotiating employee that he didn't know would backfire. Okay, so he but, didn't think that I, you would do it then. Exactly. Okay. He knew if I ever put my skates on that I never would, you know, come back to working full-time for him for a long time because I would play. Sure. So. That's remarkable. Yeah. Uh, so you you uh, play, as I said, in the two games in 68 and then 41 games in 68-69, Lou, and the Stars were in the playoffs five of those first six years. What, what was that experience like, especially the expansion thing? Because, as you said before, you know, this was a six-team league forever, basically, uh, and, and then it doubled to 12 in 67. What was that whole experience like as the league uh, grew around you, essentially? Well, it was uh, tremendous. You know, we had uh, opportunities for a lot of people who didn't have it before. It was such a closed shop where they could, you know, if they didn't like the way you parted your hair, you'd be down the minor, somebody else would be up. They could sure. change rosters so easily. Now the, the rules of the game are starting to change. You started to get, like, 
you started to have player association and you started to have uh, retirement. You, you know, you had your pension, which we never had before. As a matter of fact, the, the, the pension, when I first started, the player had to pay his own share. He put his own money into the pension. That started the pension plan. Mm-hmm. Well, Ren Blair made a deal with me. He says, we will pay for you. The North Stars will pay for you if you promise not to be the player rep. For the three years, we'll pay for you. He was a smart man, Lou. Yeah, he did. So I made that deal with him. So I you know, let them pay for me for three years. Then the end of three years, when they, when it was over, then I became the vice president of player association for the next. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine that now? Going to to a player who who you know is a good negotiator and saying, "Hey, kid, do me a favor. I'll pay for your dues. Just yeah. don't <laughs> go against me. Don't yeah. negotiate against me." Yeah, things things are different. Things are different. What were the the uh, characters on those? early teams like as well with guys like Gump and Maniago oh. and old school guys who, who Vasco, you know. Vasco yeah. and McCord. What was that like? I, Parker McDonald. I, I got to tell you, it was the most enjoyable time of my life. Just to be around them, to, to watch how they acted, to, to, to see the things that went on. Uh, I mean, it was, it was hilarious. It, it was it was entertaining every day. It was funny and heck. And, and the funny part is the team because Ren was so tough on us, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and and he was he was a tough, tough guy on, on the players, and he'd have Mariucci run practices, so the team really bonded together closely. You know, the the first the first night that I played, we were playing in St. Louis, we were leading St. Louis two one, I think it was, and and we got a penalty, and uh, Ren Blair got upset with the penalty. So he threw a towel at the referee. So now we're five against three, mm-hmm. or it was two-two, whatever the score. Anyway, they scored to win the game, which put us out of a, a position higher in the playoffs, which meant money to all these guys. Sure. And and so he came in and you know he tried to be sorry about it and all that, and all the guys got all over him. Said you cost us money. That was the dumbest thing you could ever do. So he's okay. I'll, pay, I'll have the team pay the difference, and the team paid the difference. It was like four hundred or six hundred dollars a man for the position that he cost us in that game. Really? Yeah, yeah. And the team couldn't have liked that. No, I know. The owners but, had to be ticked off, right? Well, they they give them a you know a lot of leeway. They probably didn't even know what happened. You know, with, with the budget, he had a lot of leeway. So, but uh, they they were a good group of guys. They played hard. They they. They stuck around together. You know, it was so funny because we'd have some parties at Ren Blair's house sometimes, and and Ren always wanted to win. And we'd have he had a pool table there, and he'd have a pool tournament. You know, with money, mm-hmm. and he always made sure he said, "Parker, you're my partner, Parker McDonald," because he was the best pool player of everybody. So we played till three, four in the morning, and of course they'd win because of Parker. And we always said Parker was going to be the next coach <laughs> after you know. After like Blair had come back after Muckler, and sure enough, Parker was the next coach. Yeah, very. Yeah, exactly right. So, so of all those old school guys, was there one guy who was the biggest character? Was Gump the biggest character? Or, or was uh, yeah, there... Gump probably was. Gump, uh, you know, Gump was was in his own world, and he was a terrific guy and a magnificent goaltender. I, I got to tell you, in those days, if you had to win one game, I'd put Gump with anybody. Mm-hmm. To win a game in Philadelphia, and I think we had 51 shots against, and he shot him out one nothing in Philadelphia. 
the, the guy was remarkable, but boy, oh boy, was he a character. But there's, I mean, we, we had guys like Gary Smith that came and played with us after the goaltender. They were all a little quirky. That's why I said, Caesar, you shouldn't be a goalie. Every, all the other goalies are quirky. <laughs> Gary Smith used to undress and shower between every period. He'd come in, go right into the shower, come out, dress again, and go and play. Every period of every game. How the hell did he do Or why the hell did we, we he do that, I should say? We watched that. We just couldn't oh. believe it. Oh. Just amazing. Uh, the night, the night that Bill passed away, uh, after he or he didn't pass away that night, but the night that that he got hurt and eventually passed away, was that before you had started to play for the North Stars? Well, that's when I was playing with the Olympic team. Okay, and, uh, and I was also broadcasting after the game show with the North Stars, the scoreboard show. I was doing that, and I was playing with the Olympic team in Boston, Boston University, mm-hmm. and. They called me before that, before I went out there, and says, look, uh, the North Stars are playing in Boston on Sunday. We'll pay for your trip home and pay you if you will stay and do the color on on the hockey game on TV. So I said, fine. So the Olympic team went back home Sunday morning. I stayed. And then Sunday night, I'm going to be broadcasting with Frank Butel. And and Bill had had that, you know, accident and... uh, he had passed away, and and I'm in Boston, and the team's delayed because of the snowstorm and everything. Sure. And I think we were going on the air at seven. They didn't get there. We didn't start the game till eight, and I'm so I'm alone. And in those days, you know, you buy satellite time, you go on. There's no fill. There's no, nothing else. All they says, fill for an hour, whatever you can do. So I was grabbing people out of the crowd, interviewing stuff like that, and I I I had heard that. That what happened, but I didn't know exactly how it happened or what. I didn't know anything until Frank came in the booth. Sure. Um, January twenty seventh, nineteen seventy two. You get your only career hat trick, Louis. But I looked this up. It was at Montreal. What type of thrill was that? Well, I got three goals and one assist. We won six five. Mahovlich had two goals. Uh, I actually, I think I could have had six that night, and that was the one year I played forward. You know, I, I play defense all the time. Right. I, I, sometimes during the game, I'd go up to a wing position or kill penalties up front. But basically, I was defense for nine years and forward that one year. And I got 21 goals that year. Murray got 25. And my line, the other line mate, Prince, got 20. So I, uh, that year, I was third in goal scoring and fourth in points. And and to get it in Montreal and, and, uh, and, and win the game 6-5, you know, uh, it, it was a it was a thrill. It was it was unbelievable. But like you say, sometimes in a game things just go right. And I, I think I should have had six. Really? Yeah. That type of night, huh? Yeah. So what of those early teams that you played on for the Stars too? And I think the original deal with when they went to expansion, if I'm not mistaken here, was that they put the six new teams in, in a division, and that's why the Blues went to the finals a few times. Which of those teams did you think, North Stars-wise, had the best chance of uh, potentially going to the finals? Oh, that's, uh, our, our team, uh, 71-72, is really a good team. We were really good. Uh, we, beat, uh, we beat St. Louis. We beat them. We played Montreal in the playoffs. Remember the semifinals? Mm-hmm. And I actually, uh, we won uh, one game in Montreal's first time an expansion team ever beat an established team. And I got the winning goal in that game. Uh, and we were we were down three games to two. Came back to Minnesota, mm-hmm. 
and uh, they were ahead. And you know the things are different now, but uh, Teddy Hampson scored right at the buzzer, and they, they said after looking at it, it was like six one hundredths of a second after the buzzer went to tie the game, or we'd have gone to overtime, and you know might have won that night and gone back to Montreal for the seventh game to get to the finals. Sure. Oh, that's right. That's the famous one. What what was it? The green light where you didn't yeah. get the red light, you got the green light, and that yeah. was actually no goal or yeah. it was too late? Mm-hmm. Uh, but we didn't have, yeah. you know, the things they got now, the kind right. of replays and everything else. Oh, now they'd have six different angles. I wonder if, if, the, if the green light is human timing to, you know, push the button if it was slow or what. You know? Right, right. Last thing, uh, when when you transitioned then before your playing career was done from the late 60s, early 70s, where those teams were competitive and good, how tough did that get there for, for that stretch where, where the North Stars went from being a pretty much look like perennial playoff team to uh, missing the playoffs for an extended period there? That was tough. Right? You know, we weren't very good as a team. We weren't drawn very well. Uh, I, uh, after being accustomed to having a, a few good years like we had and, and being in the playoffs and having all those battles and then not even being able to get in the playoffs, uh, you know, it's it's disheartening. It's it's, it's certainly uh, not pleasurable because we've, we were able to experience the highs and now we saw the, the, the dregs of the lows. Right. Uh, who was the best player d- during the course of your career, if there is one, that you played against, do you think? Bobby Orr. Just the speed and the, his, his ability to oh, change the game? No, whatever, everything he yeah. did. He was, just, he was in a class by himself. He, he's just incredible. I mean, you, you go back and you see films when Bobby Orr in a 5-on-3 killing penalty, he'll ride the puck himself for a minute. And he won't get the puck. I mean, he, <laughs> he did things you just never see anymore. It just was incredible. How fast, how smart, how talented, how quick, how, how strong. I mean, he did everything. He he was just far and away the best player. Are there a two and three on that list? Well, you know, it was how how was always tremendous, but that was the end of his era. But then, right. you know, I love Stan Makita and I love John Bellavo and and Phil Esposito. They were three unbelievable centermen, all different. Makita probably the most dangerous because. He used to just handle that puck like a magician and, you know, the speed net, what he could do things, and Bellable with his size, they were unbelievable. And, and to, you know, Cornway in the wing with his speed, the way he could come down and, and shoot, you know, you, Bobby Hall. I, I didn't mind Bobby Hall as much as because Bobby would try and overpower you. You'd rather have a guy like that than a guy that with the speed and, yes. and, the, and the slippiness to, to beat you. And, and uh but I mean, Hall was fabulous. But you know, I, I, I you know, and how even though it was past his prime, he was still unbelievable. So, all right, sir, fun stuff. Thanks, Louie Nanny. Thanks. Nice to talk to you. See talk you. to you next week. Bye bye. Venture X from Capital One is the travel card for people always asking, "Where next?" You earn 10x miles on hotels and rental cars and 5x miles on flights booked through Capital One Travel and 2x miles on everything else you buy with Venture X. Plus, receive premium travel benefits like access to over 1,300 airport lounges. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details.